0: And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf, and on the Skype line with us today is Dr. Peter Hammond, Director of Frontline Missions in South Africa. And Peter, it's a honor to have you on with us today.
1: Thank you so much, Dan. It's a privilege to be with you, especially of all these kilometers. This is a great season, it's a great time, and it's a wonderful opportunity to reflect on our Christian calendar, and what are we hitting up to?
0: Oh, amen. And um, today is, what, Saturday. We're looking forward to Resurrection Day tomorrow. Peter, maybe you can get us started in talking about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and Then maybe we can take up um, our expectations that God gives us in his word now that Jesus is ascended. So there's so much to talk about. Why don't you take it from here?
1: Well, yes, you know, the resurrection is so important. It's so foundational to Christianity that it's been targeted for the most relentless attacks. And, And I was brought up in a secular humanist family where we didn't go to church. We didn't pray. So I had no exposure whatsoever to uh, church life or anything like that in my home uh, before I was converted to Christ at age 17. Uh, But uh, one book that made a great impact on me was Frank Morrison's Who Moved the Stone. Now, Frank Morrison was a lawyer determined to disprove the resurrection and thereby undermine Christianity, and the result of his exhaustive legal investigations was his conversion to Christ. (laughs) Frank Morrison wrote the book Who Moved the Stone which decisively demonstrates the overwhelming evidence for the resurrection. And uh, I read that book in something like two and a half days. It, it, it made such an impact on me. And I had a wonderful opportunity shortly after I came out of the army to hear Josh McDowell, uh, not only in his debate against Amadi, one of the greatest Muslim uh, debaters in the world, in Durban, uh, 1981 I'm talking about, but shortly after that, I hitchhiked all the way up from Durban to Johannesburg to follow Josh McDowell. He was then speaking for five days in University of Wattestrant in the Great Hall, packed out, and he gave evidences that demand a verdict, basically, uh, which was especially for the evidence for the viability uh, of the Bible. And he gave several days of presentations at lunchtime on evidence on the resurrection of Christ. And it was absolutely staggering as he gave conclusively, exhaustively, documentation, evidence, historical truth, factual accuracy, archaeological evidence, manuscript evidence, fulfilled prophecies, transformed lives, all kinds of indisputable evidence which really supports the fact of the resurrection. And um, I was also, um, in my historical readings, uh, came across Thomas Arnold, professor of history at Oxford University, one of the greatest historians of the 19th century. And Thomas Arnold said, I know of no one fact in the history of mankind which is proved by better, fuller evidence of every sort to the understanding of a fair inquirer than that great sign which God has given us that Christ died and rose from the dead. Mm. And then there's Simon Greenleaf, who's recognized as the most skilled legal mind ever produced. He developed the Harvard Law School, and he's recognized as the top authority on what constitutes sound legal evidence. So Simon Greenleaf, um, he always said, never make up your mind before you've examined the evidence. And mm. some cheeky student of his said, because he was, a, he was an unbelieving Jew, and so a cheeky student said to him, but sir, have you ever examined the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ <laughs> from the dead? And Simon Greenleaf suppressed his um, uh, anger at this uh, uh, upstart student, and he channeled his energies into a thorough and exhaustive examination of the objective evidence Mm. and the testimonies of the four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And obviously he wanted to regain his uh, uh, academic integrity because he realized he had not examined the evidence, (laughs) and yet he'd made some statement about it. So in his book, uh, published by Bacon in 1874, the testimony of the evangelists, Simon Greenleaf said, he concluded, it was therefore impossible that, The apostles could have persisted in affirming the truths that they had narrated had not Jesus actually risen from the dead, had they not known as fact as certainly as they knew any other fact. And Simon Greenleaf declared any court of law, if presented with the evidence of the resurrection, would have to give a verdict in favor of the integrity and accuracy of the gospel writers and the fact of the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth from the dead. And, uh, you know, many people may not have heard of Simon Greenleaf, uh, but... Everyone's heard of Ben-Hur and Lou Wallace, <laughs> one <laughs> of the most popular books ever written, one of the most successful films ever produced, Ben-Hur. How many know, though, it was the result of a skeptical challenge to General Lou Wallace as to the authenticity of Christ's resurrection and a careful examination of the evidence? And Lew Wallace uh, actually went and examined the evidence in the Holy Land uh, when it was under the Ottoman Turks. And... Uh, Uh, Did all and the end result was the book uh, Ben Hur, which later became a film. So, so having read these books, uh, and I'm I'm quite a reader and I love books. um, uh, I had to distill these things down. So, what are the facts that convinced these skeptics Mm -hmm. and led them all to conversion? Well, here are the facts: the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who had campaigned and conspired to have Christ arrested and executed on trumped up charges, they had a compelling interest in disproving any claims of the resurrection. They had presumed that the execution of Jesus would eliminate his threat to their religious power base and silence his supporters. And these Jewish religious leaders in the first century had great concerns about the corpse of Jesus, so that they approached the Roman governor Pontius Pilate for a military detachment to secure the tomb. Now, the Roman governor's priority in this volatile province of Palestine was to preserve peace and stability. And Pilate recognized the political problems that would ensue if anything happened to this religious teacher whom he had three times declared innocent Mm. and ultimately washed his hands in front of the crowds, declaring, I am innocent of this man's blood. Pontius Pilate was only too aware that a travesty of justice had taken place, and the last thing he needed was a review of his shameful conduct and his election of duty in this case. Huh. He was he was the supreme magistrate in the land and he should have protected uh, an innocent victim from a conspiracy and, and uh, a travesty of, of justice, a kangaroo court. So ensuring that the victim's corpse remained buried was definitely in Pontius Pilate's political interests. Take a guard, Pilate answered, go and make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting a god, as we read in Matthew 27. Now, as the chief priests approached the Roman governor, and as the word "custodia" is used to describe the detachment of soldiers, it was evidently a Roman god. If only a temple god had been used, there would have been no need to Pontius Pilate to issue the order; they could have done it on their own. And additionally, the concern of the guards after the resurrection to be protected from consequences from the governor confirms that those guarding the tomb were Roman soldiers. So, the the detachment would have consisted of at least 16 soldiers, with four men placed directly in front of the entrance to the tomb on duty at any time. And under Roman military law, any guard who deserted his post or who fell asleep on duty would face crucifixion. Mm. Anyone breaking the Roman seal without permission would be tracked down and executed. So, Although the intention of the religious and political leaders had been to ensure that the phenomenon of Jesus ended at the tomb, the extraordinary security measures have only served to confirm the truth that they murdered an innocent man and that Jesus Christ was truly the Messiah, the son of the living God. So would you die for a lie? Mm. To explain away the empty tomb, the enemies of the gospel have had to resort to some desperate deceptions. And the first was to suggest the disciples had stolen the body. <laughs> now, this incredible theory suggests that those same disciples who slept in the garden, who fled at his arrest, who denied him before a young woman, who were hiding in fear behind locked doors, that they could have unitedly overcome 16 professional Roman soldiers, dared to break a Roman seal, moved to Tutankhamun tombstone just to steal a corpse. Why? Hmm. A dead Messiah would have served absolutely no purpose for the disciples, what possible motivation could they have had even had they possessed the ability to overcome the military, the political, the logistical obstacles so they had nothing to gain and had everything to lose. Every one of the twelve disciples suffered severe persecution most dying as martyrs for the faith and the question that each one of us should ask is, would you die for a lie? Mm -hmm. So that doesn't Hold me water. So the next question is, well, did Jesus really die? So others questioned maybe Jesus didn't really die on the cross, perhaps he only fainted. So this swoon theory would have us believe that the Roman soldiers, who were professional killers, and the centurion in charge would have probably supervised dozens, maybe even hundreds of executions by the stage, that they'd failed to ensure that this high profile political prisoner was not actually dead. Now Considering the vicious flogging which the Lord had endured, cat and iron tails, all of that, the excruciating torture of crucifixion, the spear thrust into side with blood and water flowing out, all of this provides convincing evidence of death and you just have to read some of the medical accounts like in Lee strobel's journalistic the case for Christ, and uh, you can see the swoon theory does not um, hold water. those advocating the swoon theory would have us believe. That one who had endured such savage flogging, crucifixion, a spear thrust to the heart, could not only have survived the legendary Roman military efficiency, but that he was somehow revived on a cold slab in a cold tomb. <laughs> Further, he somehow disengaged from the grave clothes, and possibly up to a hundred pounds of spices, ointments and wrappings which would effectively have mummified him, rolled away the two tons tombstone, overpowered or eluded the Roman soldiers, and some are found and impressed his disciples with his deity. Well, some half-dead character dragging himself around is hardly going to impress people with their deity. So you just have to mention these things to dismiss them as unbelievable. So another desperate attempt to explain away the resurrection of Christ was that they went to the wrong tomb, all of them. Mary Magdalene Peter, John, the other woman, they all went to the wrong tomb. And somehow, neither the Pharisees, nor the Sadducees, nor the Roman soldiers, nor Joseph Arimathea, whose tomb it was, thought to point out that the tomb was, in fact, still occupied. So, however, this theory is also impossible, because the tomb was not in the cemetery. It was in a garden privately owned by Joseph Arimathea. Even today, you can go to the garden tomb. There's no other tomb in that garden, Uh, It's in a garden tomb. It's a privately owned tomb. Mm. So it wasn't in a cemetery anyway. And all that the Roman and Jewish leaders had to do to end Christianity forever was to produce the corpse of Jesus. But they couldn't do it. (laughs) Even when the apostle Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and proclaimed, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ, And with great power, the apostle gave witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Remember, they didn't give this testimony in Spain. Uh, This is in Jerusalem. And thousands in Jerusalem, including many Pharisees and priests, came to faith in Jesus Christ. Mm. Now, to the Jewish religious leaders, this was their worst nightmare. This was a disaster. (laughs) The proclamation of the resurrection of Christ undermined their power and credibility. Thousands of their own followers now believed that they had condemned an innocent man, worse, the Messiah himself. And the new religion of Christianity was undermining the power base and the credibility of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. If the body of Jesus could have been found, Christianity could have been stopped dead in its tracks. Mm. And the threat to the religious status quo would have ended. And since they desperately needed Jesus' corpse, these leaders would have used every means at their disposal to hunt it out and find it if that was possible but we're dealing with more than an empty tomb we're dealing more than the absence of the body we're dealing with the testimony of eyewitnesses on at least 12 separate occasions jesus christ was seen after rising from the tomb by mary magdalene by the other woman by peter by the two disciples on the road to emmaus by 10 of the disciples by all 11 disciples eight days later, seven disciples by the, the sea of Tiberius, to 500 at one time, to James, to all 11 apostles and others at the ascension, and, and John, and all saw the Lord bodily raised from the dead, uh, not to mention Paul of Tarsus on, on the road to Damascus. Right. So to explain away the testimony of all these eyewitnesses, enemies of Christianity have suggested maybe these were merely hallucinations perhaps the result of hypnosis or hysteria. Well, hallucinations tend to be unique psychological experience of one individual. But we're here dealing with large numbers of individuals who at different times, in different groups, at different places, indoors, outdoors, on a hilltop, along a roadside, by a lakeside, they all saw the Lord. They didn't just see him, they ate for him. They saw the wounds in his hands and his side. And far from being gullible, it would appear that his disciples were very skeptical and slow to believe. Thomas declared he would not believe that Christ had risen from dead unless mm. he personally placed his fingers in the nail prints in his hands and his feet and the wound in his side. And not only do we have the testimony of the eyewitnesses, we have the dramatic transformation of the disciples. The resurrection of Christ from the dead transformed these disciples, grief to joy cowardice to boldness skepticism to faith their doubt to determination it turned Saul, the persecutor of the church into Paul, the apostle of the church and it also transformed society and history. It changed the Jewish Sabbath on the seventh day, the last day of the week to the Christian Lord's Day on the first day of the week what else could explain the replacement of Saturday as the Jewish Day of Rest into Sunday the Christian Lord's Day The resurrection transformed a small Jewish remnant into a worldwide Christian church of over 2 billion people right now who describe themselves as Christians who believe in the resurrection of Christ from the dead. So the very existence of the largest religious movement in the history of the world is just another evidence of the truth of the resurrection. But it's more than that because Jesus himself prophesied his resurrection from the dead. And because of his fulfillment of this, we can be absolutely certain that Jesus Christ is Emmanuel, God with us, as he claimed. By his resurrection, we can know that our sins are forgiven through his blood, sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. And because of Christ's death on the cross, we can rejoice that our sins are forgiven, paid for, justified by faith. And because of his resurrection from dead, we can rejoice at the prospect of eternal life ourselves. And We look at passages in the Bible like Romans 1 verse 4 and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of Holiness by the resurrection from the dead.
0: Amen. Amen. Today we're talking with Dr. Peter Hammond. He is the director of Frontline Fellowship, Frontline Missions, and he lives in South Africa. And we're talking about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not just a theory. This actually happened. And our, our faith is based on it. Um, If we didn't have the hope of the resurrection looking forward, and based on the fact of Jesus' resurrection, we would be, um, I believe the word is, people most miserable. (laughs) But praise God, he is resurrected, and he lives and he reigns at the Father's right hand. Uh, Peter, after he resurrected, he was here for a while on earth, and then the record tells us he ascended. Can you tell us about that?
1: Well, yes, I think... Because of Christ's ascension, we know he has all authority and that his great commission will be accomplished. In his last command was to make disciples of every nation, to teach obedience to all things he's commanded, to go and preach the gospel to every creature, to uh, be ensured to wait until a from above had fallen on them in Jerusalem and then to ensure that repentance and forgiveness of sins is preached to every nation as the Father sent me, so send I you, and he breathed in them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So every one of the Gospels emphasizes that Christ's last command after his His resurrection and before ascension was the great commission of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, when you think of the Christian calendar, yes, uh, Christmas is super important because it emphasizes the incarnation, God with us. But Good Friday is one of the most solemn days in the Christian calendar as we have remembered that Christ died for our sins. He paid the price mm-hmm. that we should have died. He the just in the place of the unjust, the the righteous and behalf of the unrighteous. He lived the life we should have lived. He died the death we deserved to die. And Resurrection Sunday is the most joyous celebration of the uh, victory of Christ over of death, hell, Satan, and the grave. But Ascension Day is super important because it goes on to look at the power of Christ. He has risen. He has ascended. He is King of kings. He's Lord of lords. We have an advocate in heaven. So the ascension is mightily important. But that's not the end of the Christian calendar. You've (laughs) got to go on to Pentecost because the birthday of the church, Pentecost, the church was all united. They were praying, and God poured out his Holy Spirit, and the church was born in the fires of Pentecost. And the the greatest uh, forces in nature are Are wind and water and fire and on the day of Pentecost we saw all three at work we saw the wind of the Holy Spirit coming we saw the fire of God come down and we we saw the living waters flowing and as a result the church was born and we 2,000 years later uh, are part of the movement which started then which has not been able to be stopped by persecution or years (laughs) or anything uh, or oceans or hemispheres or generations it's a phenomenal testimony to the resurrection of Christ that here we are in uh, 2021, we are discussing the <laughs> resurrection of Christ. And uh, and me in Cape Town and you in the United States of America and people all over the world, from North Korea to uh, Uzbekistan, there's no place in the world where there are not believers who are rejoicing in the fact of the resurrection. And uh, so... Uh, this just shows the power of God that was manifest in Christ. And for anyone who wants to examine the evidence, I think they will find their skepticism turned uh, uh, into conviction uh, when they examine the evidence. And There was a lovely film made uh, just a few years ago on the case for Christ, Lee Strobel's journalistic quest to find evidence against the resurrection, and it led to him being converted to Christ. And so whenever people have investigated the evidence – um, truth does not fear investigation
0: it's a wonderful thing and it's so encouraging Peter to hear you describe all this and um, the the number of Christians worldwide is on the increase it, it's been growing since the time of Christ and uh, what's your expectation Peter as you read the scriptures from here until whenever the Lord decides to come back
1: I'm absolutely convinced the Great Commission will be fulfilled before the Lord Lord returns. He who gave us the Great Commission also promised the power to fulfill the Great Commission. So, as the Lord said, as the Father sends me, so send I you. He breathed in them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. When he commanded them to make disciples of all nations, he reminded them that he... Has all authority in heaven and earth, and lo, I'll be with you always to the end of the earth. When he commanded, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, he told them that the power from on high would be available. And as they went out and worked for the Lord, he worked with them, confirming what they taught by signs and wonders. Again in Luke, we read that uh, as the Lord uh, gave them the great commission to preach repentance and forgiveness sins to all nations, he said, but wait until you have received the power from on high. And Mm -hmm. again, in Acts 1, verse 8, we we read, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And when we look at all the prophecies, how the earth will be as full of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the seas are full of water, and the kings of every nation will bow down to him and on every shore, I am absolutely convinced, uh, not only by history and the onward march of Christianity through the ages, uh, but I'm convinced by the prophecies that the Lord who gave us the Great Commission will ensure that the Great Commission is fulfilled before his return.
0: Amen. Oh, it's wonderful. Today we've been talking with uh, Dr. Peter Hammond. And, Peter, tell the folks a little bit about your website and where they can find out more information.
1: Certainly, if people go on to www.frontlinemissionsa.org, frontlinemissionsa.org, SA for South Africa, uh, they will see audios, videos, links, um, updates, what, are, what we're doing in Nub Mountains, of Sudan, all over the place. Uh, we're based in Africa. We're helping the Persecute Church. We're working throughout Africa in leadership training, distributing literature. Just today, um, we received another container shipment of 18 tons of Bibles and books donated for us to distribute across Africa. Uh, We average 100 tons of Bibles and books a year that we distribute free throughout Africa. And uh, so we call it Frontline Gym. So since early this morning before the sun rose, we've been uh, physically moving and sorting through and categorizing and designating. 18 tons of Bibles, books, and Sunday school materials.
0: It's a beautiful thing. And, and this is a funny little behind-the-scenes. We were setting this uh, interview up at the last minute, and I sent a quick note to Peter, said, would you like to have the interview? Absolutely. He comes back. He says, but first I've got to get together and do some sword fighting. And that apparently is you're training some young men in physical training. Tell us about that really quickly.
1: Yes, so for many years I've been a member of historic European martial arts. We do sword fighting. We uh, learn from the masters of the past, crusaders, knights, and so on. And so we do the same exercises, drills, and uh, handling everything from long swords, uh, short swords, uh, back swords, the the whole lot. And um, so uh, in the last uh, five months I've been training youngsters Uh, homeschoolers uh, on uh, sword fighting techniques. They're very excited about it. and So uh, it's gone from me learning and doing tournaments to actually teaching youngsters because uh, as part of homeschooling, I I think it's so good to learn. There's so much in the Bible about swords and the full armor of God and there's such a great heritage. And uh, I think instead of people chasing Eastern martial arts, they should look at our Western Christian martial arts, which include the creed uh, of a knight uh, to protect and to defend. And um, it's a good physical exercise. We get a great workout, I must say.
0: <laughs> that is that is so, so neat. Well, thank you very much. Our guest today has been Dr. Peter Hammond of Frontline Fellowship, org on the website. And Peter, thank you so very much for joining us. And indeed, our Lord is risen.
1: Amen. Christ is risen. We serve a risen Savior. Death is defeated. Uh, He's victorious of a death, hell, Satan, and the grave. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Let's celebrate that uh, tomorrow on Resurrection Sunday.
0: Amen. Dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer.